Hello to all of our listeners. Thank you for all of your support for the last Why It Works podcast on being an EAL lead. It's been one of our most popular podcasts so far, and we're really glad it's been useful for you. If you've got any further feedback, please don't hesitate to get in touch on any of our socials. We've got Facebook, Twinkle EAL, and Twitter, at Twinkle EAL. Today, I'm joined again by Dr. Robert Sharples and Joe Thompson to discuss why scaffolding is a great idea for EAL learners. Scaffolding is important for EAL learners it enables them to move from dependent to independent learning. And I think we can all agree that scaffolding is essential if we're to support EAL learners in our mainstream settings. Joe, can you give us a good definition of scaffolding, please? Yeah, of course. Hi, good to be here again. So I see scaffolding as being um, a temporary structure but one that's essential in that moment to enable the learners to access um, higher levels. So the scaffolding helps uh, EAL learners to build up to be able to do something more independently um, than perhaps they could do on their own. And then gradually, as they increase in confidence, then that scaffolding can gradually be removed, just like you would remove the scaffolding around a building if you're repairing it or building it. Um, I think scaffolding works in a similar way. Yeah, I think that's really important to note, isn't it? That it's not um, there for the whole time, but it's there as something to support rather and than... I, you know. Yeah, and I think it's how you how you gradually put it in place, step by step, but then also how you gradually remove it. And it's not a case of putting it all up at once or taking it all down at once. I think it should be a gradual process both both ways. And would you agree, Rob? Hi. Yeah, absolutely. I think the important thing of uh, scaffolding is that the metaphor works in so many different ways. So we, we can talk about how we scaffold language to help bilingual learners in the classroom, but also we can talk about how we scaffold learning generally and tasks. And it's something I think that's, that's a really great crossover space for, for language specialists and for class or subject teachers to, to have those conversations about how we can support children in the mainstream. Yeah, I mean, we can use scaffolding for speaking, for listening, reading and writing. So if we start with speaking, Joe, could you talk us through some of the resources we've got on site that will be helpful for our listeners? Yeah, so I think substitution tables are particularly helpful for speaking because they can scaffold the language that you're wanting the children to use um, and you give them those options. And I think the ones that we've got on site are quite helpful because some of them have got some of them are visual and they've got the illustrations to support the language um, and then others of them have just got the got the words so the children can make the vocabulary choices um, so I think they're a particularly helpful one they can be used for speaking but also um, use them a lot with writing as well so I think they're particularly helpful ones um, we've got some I think anything just visual cues any pictures any um, illustrations that you can just use to spark a conversation. You can get so much from um, just pictures and talking. We've got lots of uh, resources that are picture scenes with then just questions for the adults to support um, and ask the children. And I've had so many useful conversations just come out of those questions. And they often go beyond what you know what's on there and you, you go with the flow. Um, but there's especially helpful and also I think we've got some talk we've got lots of talking frames and prompts um sentence starters that give the children the structure that you would like them to use in their answer so we've got lots of talking um question cards and answer cards so we give the question but then we also give the sentence starter that starts the answer and that helps them to 
um, follow what they need to have they need to respond. They sound really, really useful. We've also got some keyword lists on there, haven't we, as well, on site. Yeah, lots of lots of vocabulary, and I think it's important to not just use the um, vocabulary on it on its own in its in isolation. I think it's really important that we um, teach them the context around the different language that we're um, teaching them, and that's an important part of the scaffolding work that we need to do. Um, our listeners might be wondering how they can use scaffolding if they don't have a teaching assistant in the classroom. Um, have you got any ideas on how that could be? resolved sure i mean the, the first thing about scaffolding although we talk about lots of techniques and activities we can do i think fundamentally the student the pupil is in charge of their own learning and scaffolding only really works if they've got something meaningful to be working on what you're trying to do in scaffolding is to help them achieve that task now that that meaningful task could be sharing information with a, a classmate you know so think pair share is a great place to to start with um, with that kind of scaffolding. Anything meaningful for language, any meaningful communication with another person is what matters. Um, it's not very useful for filling in, I don't know, blanks on a, a grammar worksheet, for example, because there's no there's no thing they're trying to achieve there. So if, a, if, if at the heart of it, you've got the children trying to do something meaningful, then it's about giving them the tools to, to do that in, when it's beyond perhaps their, their current language level. One really important way to do that is through talk. And, and yeah, the, the activities and tools Joe describes are, are crucial for this. You don't need a teacher. You don't need an expert language user. You don't need a native speaker. You don't need a teaching assistant to do that because it's about that young person trying to achieve what they're trying to achieve, right? So actually a buddy, like a peer, a classmate, can be really, really helpful for this because it's not about them meeting some kind of external criterion. It's not about saying, once I've scaffolded, you'll be able to say this properly and then we're done. It's all about the, the learner trying to take that step higher up the ladder. Um, if you've got a buddy who's who, say, is asking questions and you can, particularly for old learners, but definitely still in primary, you can do a bit of training. You can give them prompt sheets of questions to ask and, and things to encourage and ideas to share. Um, that kind of prompting and supportive scaffolding and, and uh, just a buddy to talk with, that really helps to scaffold. And and in, in the evidence and, and the theory around scaffolding is all about that, that mutually beneficial relationship or, or particular supportive relationship that we offer. So for loads of really, really strong evidence-based reasons, Actually, just having someone who is supporting you is what's crucial and supporting you to do something meaningful. Um, you don't, you genuinely don't need a teacher to do it. And the way I think about that is, you know, you're running your own race. Um, it's, it's you who's making the progress as the learner. Who you're making it with, who buddies you, well, they'll offer different things. But you're not trying to achieve, like, you're not trying to just I don't know, get a tick in the box or something that only the teacher can tick. It's not about that. It's about how you develop as a person. So yeah, um, buddies are, are often, I think, more effective for this kind of interaction because they're at just about the right level, particularly if you have a more proficient or a more able buddy, they can help you take that next step. And I, I, I would really say you just, I know Joe's going to say something very similar. Don't worry about it having to be a teacher or having to have the TA for this. 
Um, the evidence and the theory are very clear that a, a peer is often more effective, and you've got loads of those in class. Come on, Joe. what's your thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think um, from experience in the classroom, you know, the morning time when you've got children just coming in, that is a crucial time that you can make use of to do exactly these things. Um, so, you know, you have a child on the, on the same table or in the same group or however it works that they know straight away that they're going to come in and they're going to do a talking activity or they're going to play a game. Um, and they don't, they don't know that they're scaffolding. They don't know that that's what they're doing. But that is what they're doing for that child. And I think, like Rob said, it's not about that child getting a tick in the box. It's not about that child um, kind of competing against other children. It's just them making progress for themselves and using all the time in the classroom and, and the other children you've got in the class to help to help you do that. When you're teaching 30, 32 children and you don't have a TA, as many teachers don't these days, it is tricky. And I think it's a it's a question I often get asked. Oh, I want to do all these, you know, want to try all, out all these different strategies with my learners, but I don't see how I can do that. I think this is a great way. Um, it takes a little bit of time for you to sort of train them up and teach them what exactly you need um to do but then you you're set then I, and i think it's a great resource fantastic can we have a look at um scaffolding listening and why that should be scaffolded um i know it's really beneficial sort of help learners hear the types of academic language they might need to develop what resources have we got on site to look at listening skills joe um, I think we've got some good, um, they're kind of comprehension activities, actually, but they can be used for listening as they can be used for reading. Um, and this is one I often tell um, teachers to try and they haven't, it's something that I don't think they think about in the same way. So we're, we're great at reading comprehension and scaffolding reading and practicing all the different ways to um, develop our comprehension skills and our inference Um and I think the same can be done through listening. So there's some great activities which are just, um, they're just kind of comprehensive, but you read them and you listen out for the key words. And then you ask the children to um, repeat them back to you or they have to fill in, um, they have to fill in something that shows you that they've listened and understood those um, keywords, just as they would with a reading comprehension. You might want that in a, in a written answer. They have to do something that shows that they have understood um, what they've listened to. And I I think in, in school, definitely, um, in my experience, I don't think we practice listening enough. I think yeah. we, teachers are really good at um, saying, oh, they, do, they don't listen or they're not listening or, <laughs> you know, that's a common. But then I think, well, how often do we actually sit down and teach them this is good listening? This is, this is how you listen. This is how I know that you're listening. This is how you're a good listener to a friend. Um, let's practice that. I don't think we dedicate enough time to teaching children how to be effective listeners. And I think that's something we need to do. Yeah, I mean, EL is a really special context for teaching listening. So one of the big challenges for anyone learning foreign language, so in an MFL context, for example, um, is, is just getting used to a range of speakers and a range of voices and accents. And and we know that... that um, you know, a, a female voice when you've mostly been exposed to male voices or vice versa, uh, or a different age or, you know, a different variety of English, it can really introduce huge comprehension challenges for, for learners of all ages of a language. But of course, 
for our bilingual pupils in schools, they're exposed every day to a range of languages or sorry, a range of varieties of accents of speakers and everything. So you, you've got this huge advantage for listening. And, and I think then you've got to get into some of the, the technical things. In reading, we're very comfortable talking about the differences between, for example, decoding and comprehension. That there are um, similar equivalents for listening. So one thing in listening that's particular to English and to our variety of English is how we connect speech to make things flow. Um, and that can be really, really hard because of the way that sounds um, change. You know, we, we, we use this um, this unemphasized sound, like, for example, say teacher, not teacher. And it's that, you know, we call it a schwa uh, as linguists. Um, that's the name of that of that sound. But these changes in connected speech make it really hard to follow. Um, but pupils can can listen if, if they're directed to notice these things. And, and we talked about this before, that this concept of noticing is really, really important. If you can't notice it, then you can't do much about it. So just getting children to listen intensively, picking up those key sounds and then looking at sorry, key words, but looking at what happens around them. And, and the teacher can then model some of that. So, you know, you can say it in the same way as it was said on the, on the audio, the recording. Just making these things come up to the surface so that, that the learners can, uh, can notice, can be aware of them. So you've got keywords, you've got connected speech. I think that's really, really important. Um, you've, you can then build up to, to short patterns because we know that an awful lot of um, speech particularly is done in chunks. Um, so a good example of a chunk is once upon a time. Those words always pretty much occur together. Um, and, and so um, getting pupils to, to notice some of these chunks can really help and that I think is a way that you can build up very similarly for reading actually where you can build up from just spotting those keywords to addressing some of the major difficulties around how speech is different um, and then coming up through perhaps you know little units of language if you like um, that, that they can use we're really comfortable with so it, you would have no problem for example uh, teaching the the sentence patterns used in a science report for example or um, you know, in an English piece of writing, we, we teach paragraph structure and so on. But spoken English has similar rhythms, it has similar patterns that, that we can make really transparent for learners. And I think that's important. So lots and lots of experience of listening, but they're getting that anyway. And it's I think it's crucial to recognise that as EAL teachers, actually children are learning a lot outside the classroom. And I'm not convinced personally that it's that useful trying to replicate the extensive listening inside the classroom. Yes, when it comes to you know subject language, for sure, because they're not going to be exposed to that generally. But we spend a lot of time with new arrivals focusing on survival English. And I think a lot of that, they're, they're going to pick up quicker outside the classroom. So one really effective way would just be cancel lessons and let them go and play. If, if we're going to, you know, that, that might be a minority opinion, you know, but, but if what we're going to do is try and give them exposure to English, that's going to happen better elsewhere. Better to focus that time, I think, on, on the stuff that they won't meet elsewhere. And Joe mentioned subject languages is central among that. But what they won't get elsewhere is that intensive listening and noticing. And I think that's that's going to be really important. So you can scaffold it without any particular resources, just by repeating things, just by picking up on them. There's loads and loads of, of activities on the Twinkle site um, around comprehension that, that can be a like a good a good structure for doing so as well and, and they're they're terrific.
Thank you. That's really interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? And um, like you say, on the playground of things, they do get that survival vocabulary, so it is best to use. You know, use well, this is going to be the tweet, right? Rob, Rob says cancel all EAL lessons, and we hounded out of that. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Looking at reading and writing, uh, then Joe. So reading, I know you've got um, darts activities focusing on our um, Twinkle Originals. Do you want to talk us through those? Yeah, so I've designed, um, and so we've created a darts um, pack. Um, so darts stands for directed activities related to texts. Um, and they're just a range of activities based around a specific text. Um, I've based them on the Twinkle's original story um, called We Are All Different. So the ebook is on site, lots of other resources to go with that, um, and the darts pack. So I think darts packs, um, that darts packs particularly helpful. And any darts activities that you can do um, in class, I think, are quite helpful. I'm not sure that everybody um, uses them as much as perhaps they used to, but I think they're um, a really, really valuable bank of activities for your children to to do i wonder if they're seen as a bit old school maybe yeah i mean maybe when i was training i came across them a lot more often than i come across them now so perhaps there is that but i think they're invaluable really yeah maybe people just have another take on them now perhaps um are there any other strategies for scaffolding reading joe that you'd like to make our listeners aware of I think it's it's just the, taking the time to, to practice and talk about what they've read, the language that they've read, the things they're not sure about, the things that they're confident with. I think you can make so many assumptions rightly and wrongly about what they can and, and can't understand. And I think just having that really open, honest conversation with them. Um, and I, I, that is so helpful. And I, I've done that lots of times. And you get so much from it that you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't necessarily you couldn't plan for it necessarily you just mm. I've just I've sat down and done it and we've taken apart a text and I've not planned it in the in a in a specific way I've just said right this is this is a text let's read it let's go through it and let's unpick it and we've just we've just done that and you just get so much from that um without necessarily having planned every step of the and I think it's it's okay to to do that sometimes I know teachers were so keen on planning everything to the nth degree but I think sometimes just being open and um a bit more open-minded I guess as to what what your learners need um can be really helpful that's quite I think that's I mean I agree completely I, I think that might be quite a lot to ask of someone who's if not new in post you know may, maybe has it thrust upon them or, or is picking up quite a lot of of quite different students in you know the, the typical really really busy Yale um role and I I wonder if a way to think about it is to say if if you have a direction of travel and and you you know that certain things are going to happen roughly in a certain sequence d- does that I would love I'd love to hear from what people hear from people on Twitter perhaps um whether this makes sense but if if you know what the stages are, then that gives you space within each stage to to, as Joe says, just to to step back and and see where the learners need to take you. 
And and for me, those stages, you know, it's the work of Pauline Gibbons comes back again and again. And if you haven't got a copy of um, Scaffolding Language, Scaffolding Learning, you can get it quite cheaply online. Um, I just strongly recommend it. It's um, it's available on um, your favourite e-retailing Death Star. Um, you can also get it, you know, I've got two copies. <laughs> if you're desperate, email me, I'll give you one of mine. Um, it's just fantastic the the way she talks through how you build up that language and and for me one of the things that i take away from it is just again we talked about before the importance of oracy so if you're introducing a topic and, and generating ideas and understanding around the topic some kind of brainstorming activity some kind of talk activity and so on and then you're focusing on oracy first and, and we've talked before about how oracy could be in a language other than english for example so you have that oral stage within that i mean I, you know you so long as the, the learners are talking about the topic and, and generating ideas and, and talking to each other, what they say isn't so important. And for me, that might be that might sort of give people permission, I guess, to do what you're describing, Joe. Um, and then you know you're going on to the next stage. So we're going to start writing. It's probably going to be lots of stages. So if you've got time, you know, you, you, you might do some talking about it and then you might... Um, I mean, it could be. I, I, I like anything that has sort of bubbles and arrows. That's my kind of note-taking style. <laughs> Big sheets of sugar paper if you want. Some people like posters. You could be completing a worksheet that's got lots of open questions in it. And again, you'll find loads of these on, on the website. Um, and then maybe coming back, comparing answers again, using lots of that purposeful talk. And then uh, maybe some individual work, maybe building up towards your, your best English, but being quite flexible about what languages are happening. And I think with that that overarching, I guess, arc of a lesson or a support session or whatever whatever it is you're doing, um, within each of those then, you know, you don't have to plan the language so much so long as you know, you know you've, you've got resources that are fairly flexible. Um, you know what the key language is that you want to make sure students get because they're going to need it in whatever they're doing next. Um, whether you're in a like a, a pre-teaching withdrawal or in a review or like a full EAL lesson or a subject lesson, whatever, there'll be key language in each lesson that, that I, I'd hope is planned in. But for everything else, it's that breadth, isn't it? It's it's um, it's noticing language. It's, it's um, trying to find ways to put your thoughts together and then to articulate them. And one of the challenges, um, I'm a bit of a tangent here, but one of the things that we know um, happens as learners get towards the higher stages of proficiency. So coming out of the intermediate, not quite yet fully fluent. Um, we know that, that progress often slows down when you're learning a language. And one of, the, one of the reasons is that you can kind of say most of what you need to say. Is that deepening and broadening rather than reaching up to the next level? So um, one thing that all this talk does is it, it encourages and allows pupils to find a different way of saying stuff. They already got a way of saying something. Um, now they've got to say it in different ways. It's all part of that that development of language. Um, yeah, so so just loads of oracy as you build up through it and, and a, just a big recommendation for Pauline Gibbon's work. Um, and you can, it's so important that I uh, I basically borrowed a whole chunk of hers for, for my own bit of writing in the book on on oracy, <laughs> I'm fully fully credited, of course, but there's no one there's no one better that I've seen writing on it. So um, I just deferred deferred to the greats on that one. Oh, thank you, Rob. That's um, yeah, definitely worth having a read if you haven't already. Um, the scaffolding writing then was the sort of fourth um, sort of section. 
What resources have we got on site that we can use for scaffolding writing? Uh, so we've got lots, but I think like Rob just said, you've got to start with the talking before you do any writing. You want to do lots and lots and lots of talking. Um, use your buddies, use your um, partners, use your talking trios and um, talking groups. Um, debates are great. Any way that you can get all this conversation and discussion going first, um, I think before you even get to any any part of the writing process is massively important. Um, but then when you do get there, we've got, you know, there's sentence starters, there's writing frames that, that they prompt the language. They give you a little bit so that you don't have to come up with all of it. Um, story maps, story mountains, story journeys, all different ways to help you structure your writing. Um, graphic organisers are really good as well, just because it reduces a little bit of the anxiety, I think, that sometimes um, learners might feel that they... Um, face when they're um, presented with a, a blank piece of paper maybe or a page in a book or a whiteboard or however it is your 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 writing I think that can um, often be uh, off-putting maybe or a bit um, intimidating so if you've got a way of breaking that structure down for them I think that's um, that's really helpful as well yeah that's really important and how might that look with them um, diff within different subjects would you say in terms of graphic organisers, do you mean? Yeah, no, in terms of scaffolding the writing. It, it, well, it depends It depends what you're writing, I suppose, and, and the language that you need to include in it and what subject you're in. Um, but I think the principles of breaking it down stay stay the same so that you're, you're, um, you know, you're encouraging the children to have a go and be feeling confident about their writing. The last thing you want to be doing is presenting them with something that they perceive to be so challenging that they're not going to have a go and they're going to freeze up and they're not going to try. Um, so I think you just need to break it, break it down. Imagine how, imagine I always do, imagine how I would feel if I was in their shoes. So maybe I'm at work, I've, I've got a load of notes to make. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm using a different language that I'm not as confident in, that I'm learning. You know, I've got an empty notepad. I'm quite intimidated by that. I need I yeah. need some structure, I need some prompts, I need something that's going to help me hook um, the ideas off, the language off, so that I'm more encouraged to have a go, I think. Yeah, and I think many of those resources, well, are editable, aren't they? So at least um, you can look at different levels of proficiency and sort of change them accordingly. Um, yeah, and you can always ask if you find a, a resource that's particularly useful, but it's not quite how you would want it to be, you can request um, and ask to make it, uh, ask the team to make it editable so that you can go in and then um, adapt the bits that, that you want to change. Yeah. I think it's really important. I was just, you know, at the university with our graduate students, we, um, yeah, doing masters particularly, we asked them to write a, a one page outline of the assignment they're going to produce before they do this big 4,000 word piece of work. Just write out a one page outline, bring it in, we'll have a quick chat about it. And you might send them off with book recommendations. You might say, actually, this, I'm not quite sure what you're trying to say here. Can you clarify that? You might say this, this is madly off topic or this is really, really important or whatever. Um, but it's just, you know, that steering and making sure people have all the resources they need to do the task they're setting out to do. And, and that, I think, works throughout every stage of, of formal education. You, you've you got the, the, the relationship at the heart of it. You know, are, are we... 
are we supporting people to find the words to say what they want to say? And the oracy stage is, you know, is going to help them do that. But then you've got all the, the technical stuff, you know, you need words and, and some of the, um, resource we're looking at this week, like we've got substitution tables. I'm a massive fan of substitution tables, um, with dinosaur pictures on them. And yeah, you do, you do need, as Joe says, you, you need those, you just need those pieces to put together. You know, you, you need the words that you can string into a sentence. The only risk here, I think, is we, we just can't stop with words, right? It, it can't stop at keywords. So um, uh, patterns of language are going to be really, really important and, and opportunities to talk about it are really, really important as well. But but scaffolding, you know, it's got all those meanings. It's got the relationship meaning, but also, you know, as you say, you, you just need the, the raw materials to put together. And and what you said about, you know, how would I feel, that, that really struck me because... Um, <laughs> to say, you know, do this task that you've not. Re- I'm, I'm thinking vividly, by the way, of of having to learn stats <laughs> some time ago. I had to take compulsory stats courses, and um, it was it was like I was doing it in a different language. Like my friends used to joke, "Oh, he's, he's you know," but but it's true. Actually, ha- knowing the basic pieces that I was trying to put together, having someone just give those to me so I could learn how to use them. And, and then talking to me about what I was trying to achieve made all the difference. And a, a quiet shout out of thanks to my uh, two friends, both who teach statistics, who tutored me through it. And to this day, mm-hmm. neither of them knows that the other one was helping me. Because I, like, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do it on just one person's help. I found it so hard. But just... How do you use that um, peer support, Rob? Exactly like it's peer support. Well, they were they were way more than peers. I was such a thicko when it comes to stats. Um, but yeah, no, you know, having those peers go through it with you, having having just the 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 raw materials. In our case, vocabulary patterns, having a text like outline. Sometimes filling in the gaps is quite useful, but much better just you know at some stages just just say like these are the things you need to talk about. In a, in a bullet point list, talk about this, 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 and this. And, and that gives people lots of flexibility about how, and then talking to them about, okay, so you could tell me more about this. Could you could you extend this here? What do you mean by this? I'm thinking perhaps more of, of slightly older learners here. All of that is great scaffolding. And, and that idea, like how would I feel given a task that I can't do yet and being told just to get on with it? I mean, absolutely. So yeah, I guess what I'm, what I'm, I'm circling around is this idea that, that we need the we need the raw materials to work with, but we also need that supportive relationship to to encourage us and support us and stretch us um, to to do so better than we could before. Because you can always put things together in a re- really basic way and say you're done, but the real learning happens when someone is asking you meaningful questions about what you're trying to say, and that's what forces you. To, to do it better to achieve that higher level not because it's the right answer to a worksheet but because someone's genuinely asking you questions that you want to answer and i think if if that person can help you see the connections and the links between the things that you've talked about and the things that you want to go on to talk about and how one idea links to another yeah. and how they connect together it's almost like you've got the different pieces of a jigsaw and you're trying yeah. to and the, the scaffolding is someone supporting you putting them together um in a way that perhaps you haven't seen before but that you can do you just need that little bit of guidance you've got the pieces and they're on the page but maybe they're kind of Mm. upside down back to front and you 
you haven't got you know you haven't got all your edges together and you haven't got the middles you know all your colors together or however it is that you see a jigsaw puzzle to do I think it's a bit like that and if you can help them make those connections and see how things fit together then you see you have that light bulb moment and that's that's the joy of teaching then you see that 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 thing that goes off and the penny drops in their in their minds and they're oh yeah okay I can put this bit with this bit and this bit does go with this bit and I can do you know and that's that's the joy I think of it yeah there's a real um there's a real connection then between like sentence building activities and scaffolding because they're different aren't they but but actually like I was thinking dixagloss for example or uh, scrambled sentences okay. that, that students have put back together it's it's um it's pushing the brain to to understand those patterns more deeply because you're having to do something to, to put it together. It reminds and, me of that... Wordle every morning. And I'm thinking of those patterns. <laughs> I've given up. I, it's when everyone else starts doing that that quad <laughs> word, like quirdle. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I can't. I've got time. <laughs> I say I haven't got time for this. I have. I haven't got the brain power for it. Um, but so you've, you know... I think this idea of scaffolding as a metaphor that Joe started with is so powerful because it, it allows you to draw in stuff that's not technically scaffolding. Like sentence builders isn't really scaffolding. It's not helping you to achieve more highly, to say more, to articulate more. But, um, it you know, you can see how it's part of the same approach. And, and I think that that way of approaching scaffolding as a metaphor is it's really powerful with that. I want to ask you a question, Joe. So we know the podcast goes out at the end of the week. Um, would what would you say to someone who wants to to train up peer buddies? Like Monday morning, <laughs> what, what's the <laughs> first thing you can do to put this into practice? Um, like simple first steps. So I'm just thinking about things that I've done. And like you just said, not strictly scaffolding, perhaps mm. to start with. Maybe, you know, you don't go straight for your, you know, let's do this technical challenge together. It is building that relationship first and you just play some games. So I've just, um, you know, just teach them how to play snap, do match and pairs, do little games like that, board games, anything that gets them practicing the language or whatever it is that you need them to practice firstly I think is kind of first steps and then you gradually build up and then you can make the activities more challenging more scaffolding based I think I think they have to build a bit of a relationship up and a bit of a friendship up up first to know that that's that's kind of what's going to happen when when they come into class for example but then there's no reason why you can't get to those um higher level activities I think I think it just takes a little bit of time a little bit of, of, of training um, and teaching the children what you're expecting of them, modelling to them, you know, these are the questions I need you to ask, um, you, and you doing it, you know, you doing it with them, and you do it as a class a lot of the time anyway. This is what I would like you, you know, to ask and model it, model it with them first. Um, but if you do that regularly enough, there's no reason why they can't then become a bit of an expert themselves and, mm. and, and, and take your place. Um, and then that frees you up to to go and do other things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking modelling as well, modelling the kind of questioning, the kind of probing that that you want the the learners to to use. Yeah, I love that. Not, they won't. They're not. It doesn't happen automatically. No. Oh yeah. 
and that's why yeah if you but if but if you know that that's what you want to do and and you you sh you're doing that anyway as part of your everyday practice then you just have to make it explicit that you know remember these questions i ask and i used to always have them displayed around the clock you know on mm. the, the you know working walls and um word of the week and all kinds of displays and things that you have you know i used to have a maths one where it used to have sentence that you know i know it it can't be this because it could be this because I'm thinking that it could be, it's a bit like, and all those little sentence starters and questions. Yeah, question starters, yeah. That you that you use. And if you have them displayed and you're using them regularly, then you are modelling to the children that that's how they use them. And then hopefully... Plus um, it's like language that... comparison and things, isn't it? You know, like what patterns would you usually, you know, what vocabulary would you usually use to compare two things or something? Yeah, any, any set kind of, questions or starters or things that kind of scaffolds that get them to think a bit um, at the next level maths is I suppose the obvious one to do because it's the relationships often between the different numbers and the patterns and things um, and they can come up with things I know it can't be this because or um, it's similar to this yeah it's you're right it's it's that as with everything the the really good effect comes from that long-term consistency as well um but i mean you you we, we talk about budding schemes as well with the the young interpreters scheme and, and there's loads of ways you can you can build on that but you you get to this really great point where um new children come into the class like you get new arrivals and their peers are, are so happy with this way of approaching language learning that they then start modeling it to, to new arrivals. I can see Joe nodding and smiling in hand as well. That's not, no, I'm not, we're not saying that's easy to achieve, but that's, no. that's your, that's your dream, isn't it? That, that the, just the, it's the culture of your classroom is, is set up that way that, that peers support peers in learning. And, and we're so used to it. We do a lot of that when the teacher is the linchpin to it. Um, you know, and we, you mentioned, um, thinking threes and, and think pair share. Um, where, where teachers, okay, now we're going to use this technique, basically. Okay, now we're going to stop using this. But but when that becomes fairly automatic, uh, it does it does take a lot of consistent work. But we've we've all seen it it work well. Um, then you're in a position where where your work, scaffolding, noticing, talking becomes so much easier. And then you can cancel the classes and go out to play all day. Which <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, go go to the role play and yeah. watch them and listen to them because we've yes. all been there either with our own children or in school where they're on the phone or they're doing the register and they're they're being you and they're saying all the things that you say and all the phrases and all the things that you didn't realize that you do say good mm -hmm. or bad and they've picked up on all of that and they're they're practicing it um i've got my daughter here thing a little till in a supermarket trolley she's only yeah. two and a half but you just see it just reminds me of that you know you see everything don't you that you do they're just completely mimicking you. It's a, it's a long odd look in the mirror, that one, isn't it? It's scary, isn't it? <laughs> but it makes you realise how much they're picking up, whether yeah. you're... You might not have taught all of that explicitly, but they've picked it up. Yeah, and that's why that model So then when so you important. make an effort to, you know, teach it explicitly, then they will they will pick it up and they will learn and they will support each other. And it, I think that's when it's magical in the classroom like Rob said when that's the culture of your classroom and that's the culture of your school 
Um, mm. and, and that is the norm. That is just what happens. It's not a, a, a big deal anymore. It, it's just, this is... That's you know, it, scaffold is not an add-on, but it's just part of you. No, this is just what happens. And when, you know, when these children arrive, this is what happens. And it's not a big, it's not a big deal or something that we do differently. It's just what we do here. And this is how we do it. Um, and then I think it can work really well. If we're looking at the higher levels of proficiency, how would you say scaffolding might change? Have you got any um, advice there, Josh? There's a really lovely piece about this in the EL Journal a few years back um, on um, teaching history. And and the teacher, I can picture it, but I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the school or even the person. I'll make sure it is on the on the list on the notes we send out because I don't I don't want to do something without crediting the, that person. But they they made this argument that. Um, sentence stems particularly but lots of other things as well um after a certain point they hold you back um because they they reflect a certain type of classroom language use and, and classroom genres and and they they experimented with getting learners to read this, this was uh, history a level uh, the 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 pupils students would always get b's but not a's and what is what pushes you up to that highest up level answer and and you you need to you need to write and talk like a historian so they started reading popular history books and then looking at how language was used in them and of course you know in there there's all the stuff we're, we're trying to teach and, and it was a brilliant discussion i thought in three quick to read pages it was a brilliant discussion of um how you can if you've built these strong foundations how you can then go beyond them at the right time so so th th there is an argument that a lot of what we do at earlier levels if you keep doing it at the highest levels ends up being a constraint and it, and it holds the the students back um i would say in in an important sense that's a good thing right because it means you've got them up to that stage and that's great work so the next thing is you know knowing that, that your strategies need to change and the big one for me is um, reading and uh analyzing and talking about how people who really use this language um, talk. There's there's a bit of a constraint. You know that works for history. Um, uh, mathematicians talk very differently at a professional level to the way we talk about mathematics in schools. So it doesn't always work quite the same way. That that um, it's not the linear development we see elsewhere. So so there is it is subject specific, but generally speaking, just recognizing that yes, those techniques will stop working so well um, because the students will have mastered that that kind of structure. Then it's about helping them to see how they can go really beyond what we do in school. I think, and and start thinking. Well, in a few months, you're going to be out. You're going to be, you know, hopefully reading and using language among a much wider range of people. How do they use it and, and so on? It's all about taking them always to that next level. So you've scaffolded mm. them to that. The scaffolding's got you to that part of the building. Now, how's it going to get you to the next to the next part? Yeah, so rearranging, changing it and adapting. So that to move on. Yeah, the that's right. Um, have you got any further um, advice or strategies that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Uh, well, I think there's been quite a lot here. <laughs> um, for me, for me, I think it's just about um, recognizing the value of oracy, understanding that um, that scaffolding as a metaphor is a really powerful one. It can draw in lots, and just just 
get going if if at the core of it you've got learners trying to do meaningful things with language and, and with subject content not just filling in worksheets the scaffolding like the worksheets the the sentence stems the substitution tables they're there to clarify it and in many ways actually reduce the options available to learners so they can choose from a narrower range you know on, on who wants to be a millionaire you you get a choice <laughs> of lifelines you don't get an infinite number of lifelines and i think that's really important narrowing the options can make life a lot easier to choose from and then you learn from those those choices that you make but meaningful language use um, with real people so so buddies are a big part of that at the heart of it and then all the techniques and tools that we use that the the way we break it down for them that gives them the materials to then achieve more highly so it's it's not a the, the scaffolds themselves aren't what you're trying to do um, it's a it's that core of meaningful communication the, the what i'd say that like the the fundamental is just if you're not trying this already give it a go if if you are just you know mix up what you're doing there is so much stuff that that joe's created on the website um you really you really can't go wrong um and you know talk to your students about what's working for them because they can tell you that's it anything else to add joe I think go away and try something. Try something that maybe is new that you've heard today that you thought, oh, I haven't thought about that before. Or maybe there's something that you are already doing, but you want to build on it and take it to the next level. I think just go away and try and see see the impact that it can have. It'd be good to hear some of those stories as well. On yeah, it'd be great to hear what, what works and how and why and when. Yeah, that would be great. Um, so we'll carry this conversation on um, on Thursday at 7.30. We'll be on Twitter and um, doing another live chat. And then I think we've all got our social channels and also the main Twinkle EAL channel um, that we'd love to carry this conversation on and hear about um, some personal stories and people that have used our resources. It'd be really good. Thank you both for joining us again. It's been fantastic. And I hope um, find this really useful. Again, if there is any feedback or you'd like us to um, talk about certain topics or any further questions you'd like answering then please don't hesitate to get in touch thank you joe thank you rob thank you take care bye thanks this podcast was brought to you by helen bodell from twinkle eal we have over 650,000 resources and you can find all of our eal resources at www.twinkle.co.uk you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and Pinterest by searching Twinkle EAL. We have also got a Twitter live chat on Thursday and further to this we've also got a blog on scaffolding. <laughs>